He charged me with resisting arrest. Get that confidence in jail. I object. Hello, hello. Welcome to Allegedly Bravo. I'm your host, Lauren Peavy House. And today we're going to be, I feel like I just said that like a weird like circus conductor. I'm your host, Lauren Peavy House. Anyway, um, we have a lot to talk about today, but before we get into anything, I do have to say before I sat down to record this, I had already recorded a whole episode about Jen Shaw. And after I recorded it, new, new pleadings just dropped. So you'll hear me like start over in the middle of this podcast. Like I'll try to edit it out. Um, like the hi everyone part, but just know that you're going to hear the second thing I recorded first. And then the first thing I recorded second. So first we're going to talk about the new pleading that Jen filed asking the court to sentence her to 36 months in prison and specifically at a uh, minimum security prison camp in 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 Texas. Um, I can't remember exactly which area of Texas. But okay, great. And then the second half, we're going to talk about um, Jen Shaw's bail conditions, like when she was released on bail, what the things she had to follow were. And then after that, we're going to talk about what the what the police found when they raided her home. So we actually have a really big episode today and we need to just get right into it. So I'm going to start with reading the sentencing memorandum, memorandum, the sentencing memorandum that Priya Chaudhry, oh my God, I think I called her Priyanka later in the episode, but I don't know why I called her Priyanka. Priya Chaudhry, we're going to read her sentencing brief on behalf of Jennifer Shaw. So as you know, Jen pleaded guilty to her little crime that she was indicted for and she's on her way to federal prison. So she signed like a plea agreement saying, look, I will promise that I will, you know, plead guilty and take responsibility. And then in return, the prosecutor is like, okay, look, give her six years or so, give her six years or so. And we think she'll be good. That's a plea agreement because I think later on we'll find out it, she could be sentenced to like 130 months or 720 months. Like it's a lot of years. So for the prosecutor to be like, I think six is enough years. Now Jennifer's, Jennifer Shaw's lawyer is coming forward and being like, even six is a little much. So Jen's attorney is asking for 36 months of Jen's time to be spent in prison, um, at a prison camp. So let's find out why Jen's attorney thinks that 36 months, which by the way, don't even worry about it. Don't get out your calculator. That's three years. I just Googled it. It's three years. 36 divided by 12 is three. So why should Jen be in jail for only three years when she could be in jail for like a lot of years? So her attorney starts off by being like, look, Jen was involved in telemarketing. We'll give you that. But she was involved in the legit parts 
and the fraudy parts. So she wasn't just involved in the fraudy parts, which like good argument. Like there was some good there. I agree. Good for you, Jen. You telemarketed right. I mean, you're still an asshole. Telemarketers are kind of assholey, right? So Jen's attorney goes, look, some of the defendants in this huge investigation have just been sentenced to probation. And if they haven't been sentenced to probation, they've gotten extremely short sentences. And even though most people have gotten short sentences, some have gotten large sentences up to 87 months. And Jen's attorney reasons like, but it's based like situationally, as is always based situationally on the defendant, what their role was in the offense, whether or not they went to trial, whether they cooperated, pled guilty, as well as like their backgrounds. Were they you know, criminals for like their job. Like that's just what they did for a living is like be a criminal or are they a first time offender? So Jen's attorney says, Jen's not like other girls. She's not like other people in this big conspiracy. And she's actually really different from them. Jen's attorney says in her pleading quote, Miss Shaw is not like the other people involved in this vast conspiracy. She is different from them in many ways that are obvious, such as religion, race, gender, and cultural background, and in other ways, more nuanced and equally important. So, you know, Jen comes out and she says it like, look, all these other people are white guys and I'm a woman of color. So just let's situate here. First of all, let's get on the Let's call a spade a spade. That's a white man. I'm a woman of color. I'm more marginalized than that man. And she's, she'd, she'd be right. She'd be right. Her attorney goes on by saying, like, she originally started working in telemarketing. She was in the legit side. She was in the legal side. And then slowly, how did she get onto the illegal side? Slowly, she was drawn in by a group of men who were committing fraud. Quote, these men recognized in Miss Shaw a talent for organization, hard work, relationship building, and they took advantage of her skills to further their own criminal ends. That is interesting. So Jen Shaw's attorney is like, here, but for these rando white guys, Jen would be fine. But these random middle-aged white men are just criming around and sucking poor Jen right into it. So, but they do say, look, at some point, at some point, Jen, sure, Jen became an active and knowing and willing participant, but she pled guilty and she's expressed profound remorse. That's what, that's what Priya says. The woman's so sorry. She also says Jen isn't really like these other guys. Like, she's really not any of this thing. Like, this isn't who Jen is anymore. She's not even in the telemarketing business anymore. She's moved on. She's gone beyond that. Quote, Jen shot indubitably proved to this court and to her former co-conspirators that she permanently broke from the shadowy world of telemarketing fraud when she reinvented herself completely 
as a glamorous real housewife of Salt Lake City. I got to be honest, if <laughs> that's a funny sentence because it's like, okay, she was like this low down scum. And then she's like, yeah, not anymore. I'm putting on some rings. I'm going to use this money to buy some fake bags. <laughs> so Priya goes on by saying, this part made me LOL. This is a direct quote. In perfect homage to quote reality television, which in actuality is a semi-scripted, heavily edited facsimile of quote reality intentionally manipulated to maximize ratings, episodes of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City have been filmed and aired during the pendency of Miss Shaw's case, which misleadingly suggest that Miss Shaw's statements and actions in these episodes match the posture of Miss Shaw's case or reflect her accurate sentiments about this matter. Worse, due to editing, scripting, and the network's complete control over the quote storyline of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, as her sentencing date approaches, Miss Shaw has been made to seem intragenant intransigent, defiant, and often even unrepentant about her actions here. Nothing can be further from the truth. You know, I do wonder how the prosecution will respond to the fact that it's like due to editing and scripting, like Jen Shaw has been made out to be some defiant asshole I wonder what the prosecution is going to do when they saw last week's episode of Jen, like, taking Angie's shoes and throwing them over the ocean or pouring champs on Angie's head. We all know that Heather Dubrow would send her ass right to jail. So then her attorney, Priya, goes on by saying, like, okay, you're not even going to believe this. The criminal Jen Shaw who did all this and the Jen Shaw that like everybody else knows, like her friends and family, they're two different people. They are literally two different people. I'm not even kidding you. The quote is on page, starts on page three and it says, what is truly remarkable about this case is that the Miss Shaw who committed this crime and the Jen Shaw that her family and friends know are literally two different people. It is as if the Jen Shaw who spent time in New York with a group of deadbeat criminals and fraudsters and the Jen Shaw who was the devoted mother, daughter, sister, wife, and friend in Salt Lake City are two people with little in common. So this woman expects the judge and the court and everyone who this is, you know, the court of public opinion, which is us, expects everyone to just believe that like Jen, what, bumped her head and then was like, oh, you know what? It's weird that I was a criminal for that little bit of time, right? Like that was a phase. (laughs) That's insane. That's a really funny argument, though. Mom, it's just a phase. I promise. It's like the the opposite of what every like teen ever says. It's not a phase. This is who I am. You don't even get it. But Jen's like, this isn't a phase. This isn't. No, no. Jen's like, this is a phase. 
this is a fa- that whole thing was a phase and I don't even know who that woman is. I don't even know who that woman is anymore. Good for her. So Jen Shaw's attorney goes, we ask your honor to impose a sentence of 36 months imprisonment. We submit that such a sentence is just and fair because it takes into account Miss Shaw's history and characteristics, the facts and circumstances of the offense and the meets, oh, sorry, and that's my dyslexia switching the, the words, and meets the statutory requirement of the statute that a court impose a sentence that is not greater than necessary to achieve the goals of punishment. So Jen Shaw's attorney's like, hey, you should do 36 months because you're allowed to. You can do whatever you want, actually, like no greater than necessary. And we think that 36 months is really, it's no greater than necessary. I would agree. That is really not greater than necessary, but it's also a lot less than necessary. It's definitely not greater than necessary, but it is perhaps a lot less than necessary is what I would argue about as the prosecutor. But as not a prosecutor, never have been, only interned there for a couple months um, a while ago. Like, this is a funny argument. And I think, you know, it's kind of, it might, it just might work. Okay, so then Jen Shaw's attorney goes on and says, like, Jen Shaw's really not like the rest of these people. She comes from an unusual background that placed great demands on her at a young age and throughout her life. Like, you should go lenient on her because she's really been through a lot. So it says, it says, so, it literally starts with so. So when Jen was only one month old, her maternal grandparents took her to Hawaii to raise her. But this also let Jen's parents continue their educations unburdened by a small child. Because her parents were in college and then they had Jen. And so the the grandma was like, we'll take her. You guys finish college. So Jen moved to Hawaii and then she lived with her grandparents until she was five. The pleading continues and her attorney says Jen lived with her grandparents and aunts in Hawaii until she was five. She was raised as an adored princess in an environment where everyone looked like her and showered her with attention. I mean, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, but it seems like being showered with attention like that hardcore does not bode well. Like the princesses of the family should be quaking because like, look at Teresa, the princess of the family went to prison. Look at Jen Shaw, the princess of the family went to prison. Like you princesses, you better consult an attorney and just be like, am I doing all right? You can go ahead and write into Allegedly Bravo if you want. I'll let you know if you're doing all right. You probably are. Just don't do fraud. So Jen, Jen's attorney goes on by saying, Jen lived with her grandparents and aunts in Hawaii until she was five. She was raised and adored in the princess environment, yada, yada, yada. Then as her grandmother became ill, she was suddenly returned to Utah to live with her parents. And it was a very traumatic experience for Jen because her parents, her, the only parents she knew were her grandparents and her aunts. So at five years old, Jen got picked up, plucked from Hawaii and plucked down to Utah. 
And she was traumatized. And I could understand a five-year-old being traumatized by, like, such a big move. That is pretty traumatizing. Um, Then they go on by saying, like, also, like, in the Polynesian culture, the oldest daughter is called Fahu. And there's, like, all these responsibilities that come with being the oldest daughter. So... By the time Miss Shaw was living with her parents um, and her parents had more kids, she ended up moving into like a different role in the family. She was picked up from Hawaii. She was a pampered baby. She had everything handed to her. She was raised a princess. And then all of a sudden she's dropped in Salt Lake City. She's the Fahu, as they call it, in Salt Lake City. And she's living in a strict home with near strangers. So this little five-year-old is supposed to be the matriarch of the family. So then she says, like, also she was impacted. Like, Jen was deeply affected by the ridicule ridicule she endured from her classmates because she had a different physical appearance from, like, the mainly white people in Utah. And as a white person, I don't know and I don't understand what it's like to – walk into somewhere and have to live in a place where like nobody looks like you, I can understand that to be traumatizing or like at least annoying. And like, what the hell? Like, why is no one here like me? Like that does seem like it would be isolating. Um, so I can understand that being bullied through high school or middle school or whatever, like would really suck. Now, does it, does it provide a basis for like an exception for punishment for fraud? I don't know. I don't know. But this is a quote from Jen's mother. One of the most revered Tonga cultural traditions identifies the eldest female sibling as the Fahu. As the Fahu, Jen is accorded the highest respect at all formal and informal occasions from funerals to weddings and births. She acts as the family matriarch and oversees her siblings, nieces, and nephews. So she really, apparently, according to her mom, is like the end-all be-all for this family. It's interesting because it's like we go from like being a five-year-old whose parents were like, here, stay with your grandma, and then now you're just strict strangers to like, you're the best. Like we highly respect you. Like we love you, all this stuff. It's like, is that not still being treated like a princess? Because if you're owed the highest respect at all occasions, I feel like that's princessy vibes. I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. Jen's attorney says that like Jen's parents demanded perfection from her. Now, Now, Jen's mom, oh, Jen's mom is 70 years old. She's now retired, and her job was working 30 years as a teacher, a school principal, and a director of educational equity for 20 years. That's so crazy. Oh, my God. Like, this woman has liquidated all of her assets. Like, all she does is give. She worked for 30 years as a teacher and a principal. Like, oh my God, you could not pay me enough to be a teacher. You couldn't do it. Like, all due, all due respect. Um, so Jen's saying, 
look, usually I can see that the the issues with the defendant's mother, father, siblings, not really relevant to whatever she's done. Because I'd agree, like, yeah, okay, sorry about your high school, but, like, what about the grandma? Not yours either, like the one you stole from. And they said, look, it's important. Jen grew up as an outsider. It was a hostile and strange environment. And at the same time, she had all this responsibility to care for people. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you you know how I feel about that. But then Jen's attorney goes, it was from this pressure cooker that Jen entered her adult life. And it has had a profound impact on the course of her life and on her conduct in this case. Miss Shaw capped her formidable high school career with a strong start at the University of Utah. Her eyes trained on a professional career, perhaps as a lawyer. L-O fucking L. So Jen drops out. She becomes pregnant with Sharif Jr., Her and her father break up. They're friends off. He disowns Jen. And then, of course, she has a baby. And then everyone sees a baby. And they're like, oh, my God. I love this thing. And then everyone's friends again. Like, that's how it always goes. And so if we could all just, like, stop unfriending people who are pregnant and then refriending them after we see the baby, that would be great. That would just be great. So Sharif's like, we decided she was going to stay at home and I was going to go to school and law school and I was going to help our situation. She was going to take care of the kids. Okay. So if she's taking care of the kids, he's going to school and she's working three jobs. She apparently from nine to five was a secretary. And then in the evening she was a nanny. And then on the weekend she was a model. So Correct me or don't correct me, but just let me know, LMK, how your job is to stay home and take care of the family, but you're also working nine to five all week and then working in the evening all week and then modeling all weekend. It just seems like a lot. So a lot of this pleading is redacted and blacked out, which makes me feel like there's some familial allegations in there or like very personal things like maybe cheating or some something along those lines that's referenced that like really we have no business knowing about or talking about, but I'm sure some of you will figure it out. So it says, oh, this part is so sad. So it also talks about how impacted Jen's sons are from this whole thing and how because of how impacted they are, like they should let Jen out earlier so she can comfort them. As a direct quote from the pleading, it says, when the police came to arrest Jen in the instant case, the agents found the 15-year-old son in bed and pointed an assault rifle at his head and heart. The son was forced out of bed at gunpoint and escorted out of his home in handcuffs. He still is having nightmares from this incident, and it's only his mother who's able to calm him and get him back to sleep. I mean, that's so sad, but like, also, I'm sorry, Jen, it's kind of your fault. That's just how I feel. Then Jen's 
attorney says, and then like beyond all this like growing up stuff and having to be like pampered and then respected and in charge of everything, she says a further emotional blow occurred in January of 2018 when Jen's grandmother died. Jen had been raised by her grandmother. I get that. That's really sad. Um, My grandmother died. I was extremely close to her. And I did not commit wire fraud. I never did that. So then it says, then only nine months later, in September of 2018, Jen's father died unexpectedly. Okay. Also sad and terrible and upsetting. And I don't think that there's any reason to commit wire fraud after that. I don't know. I know a lot of people who have had tragedies in their family, who go on being law-abiding citizens. I just do. Um, So then the attorney goes, well, all right. So how did Jen, an otherwise law-abiding and model citizen, get involved in this crime? And she said, well, the short answer is that there are two Jens. One Jen was a perfect daughter, Fahu, mother, and wife in Salt Lake City. And then there was the other Jen Shaw. And then the other Jen Shaw is redacted. So we don't know the identity of the other Jen Shaw. But the attorney describes the other Jen Shaw by saying, quote, This Jen Shaw threw caution and morals to the wind as she spent more and more personal and professional time with a group of unsavory fraudsters while living in New York, a world separated both geographically and emotionally from her life in Salt Lake City. She moved from the little city to the big city. She had, she had no choice. Like she said, she was wild and free. She had the wind in her hair. And Jen's attorney goes on by saying, quote, Jen's life in New York was also totally removed from Utah. So she felt freed from the strictures of her usual life. Also, in New York, Jen was in a place where people of color were not unusual. Okay, also not a reason to to start committing wire fraud. Like, just because you're in a place where people look like you doesn't mean you can start doing crimes. Like, no. So then she goes on by saying, Jen always felt like she needed to be perfect, and the shame that she feels from this whole situation is quite literally unbearable. And that although... Jen knows that she committed a very serious crime that hurt many people. It is psychologically extremely difficult for her to face her friends and family. Then Jen's attorney goes on by saying, quote, Thus, while she sometimes seems to be denying guilt in public, in private, and then it's like five lines of redacted text. I mean... Oh my God. But I would assume the redacted text is something along the lines of like, she's suffering from depression and is suicidal because that's what she was saying in this week's episode. And so I'm reading between the redacted lines. So the attorney's like, we don't dispute that the, the calculations that the guideline provides is 135 to 168 months. But this is just advice. Like you judge can do whatever you want. So she says the probation department recommended 72 months, which is 
like way lower than the guideline range, which obviously is 135 to 168 months. And she also says that also like the court should impose a sentence that's sufficient, but not greater than necessary to like, you know, reflect the seriousness of the crime. And that the point of imposing sort of a sentence is to reflect the um, offense, promote respect for the law, and provide a just punishment to deter criminal conduct and to protect the public. It's very straightforward. That's why people go to jail. Now, they go on by saying, like, listen, just because you get the guidelines, that doesn't mean that you just, like, can presume that they apply. Like the court needs to sort of look through everything, look at the totality of the circumstances and look through the whole entire life of Jen and her involvement in this scheme and decide what the appropriate sentence would be. And here they say, Jen Shaw says, look, it's 36 months. That's it. That's all I should get. It's sufficient. It's no greater than necessary. And she goes on by saying it's also like consistent with sentences imposed in similar defendants' convictions. So she said that similar defendants have received around 36 months, but not very many have received higher than 36 months of a sentence. And those that did receive higher can all be distinguished from Jen. So Jen is arguing she never spoke with any of the victims or the customers. Um, but the people who have gotten sentences over 36 months spoke to the victims and everything. She also says that none of the, or all the co-defendants were actually barred by the FTC And they just like made up a new company under a new name. Whereas Jen has like no prior criminal history and didn't reincarnate into this fraudulent enterprise and just sort of met up with them. And then they say, also, we don't think that Jen A really is tier A because remember they, they called her tier A because she provided leads to like the people who are involved in the crime. Jen's like, look, okay, sure, I provided the leads, but I didn't create, organize, control, or run this multi-state conspiracy. Okay, I just didn't. Okay, I can see that. Like, yeah, then she should be sentenced lower. Jen argues that the national average sentence in 2019 for a fraud case was 21 months. And in the Southern District of New York, which is where Jen is going to be sentenced, the average sentence was 19 months. In 2020, the national mean sentence was 19 months. And same with the circuit court, um, the Southern District of New York. And the median was 12 months. And then in 2021, it went to 20 months. And in the District of New York, it was 20 months. So basically, Jen Shaw's showing like, okay, so for the last couple years from 2019 to 2021, we obviously don't have the stats for 2022 yet because we're still in it. But they're saying 
for the last three years that we have numbers for, the average sentence for a case like this would be somewhere between 20 and 21 months and maybe 19. So 36 is really above and beyond. All right. Honestly, kind of a good argument. I think they should have stuck with that more so than the like pleading that she's a woman of color. And so she's been like oppressed and sort of forced into this because that to me sounds like she's making some sort of like excuse for her actions. And I don't think that's going to bode well at all. So Jen Shaw's attorney says, quote, this court is tasked with essentially reaching its long arm through time into the past to punish the Jen Shaw of 2016 and 2018. Only the 2023 Jen Shaw stands before this court to be sentenced. This is a 49-year-old mother of two sons, 28 and 17 years old, who are the center of her life. Also, if I was a court, I would say, listen, at 28 and 17 years old, you've done a great job raising these two adults and sending them off on their merry way. And your job here is done off to jail. You go. That's if I was like a strict and rude, a uh, judge, but I really do think that like, maybe, maybe 36 months is okay. Then if 20 and 19 are the months that other people have served, I don't know. They also argue that having the court consider like the need to deter criminal conduct and to protect the, the public from the defendant's crimes has a big impact on what the court can consider to sentence Jen Shaw. So she goes, Jen Shaw has spent the last several years of her life unwittingly proving to this court that she won't reoffend. I don't necessarily know if that's true uh, because I guarantee you that when the prosecution responds and puts their little memo forward, they'll be like, oh, really? She won't reoffend? Okay. What about when she A, threw the shoes, B, spilled the champagne, pushed Lisa Barlow, etc., and so forth? <laughs> And they go on by saying it's because of this unique fishbowl of reality television. The world has watched her every move, seen the truth behind Jen Shaw, flaws, family, fights, and all. And thus the world knows that Jen has completely broken from her old life. As a very well-recognized television personality whose prosecution has been made the centerpiece of nearly every newspaper and tabloid, since March of 2021, there is absolutely zero chance that Jen could just anonymously slip back into the criminal schemes of the telemarketing world. Or, for that matter, there is zero chance that Jen will ever do anything unnoticed by the press and public ever again. <laughs> That's kind of funny to me. So they go on by saying... It's, it's extraordinary circumstances that are going to happen here. If Jen goes to prison for all this time, she's going to miss her high school graduation 
or her son's high school graduation. Her son will miss his mom in the audience cheering him on and he'll miss packing his belongings and moving in to college into his first dorm quote without Jen's doting motherly help or her famously two large baskets of his home cooked favorites. Yeah. Unfortunately, you should have thought about that before you broke the law. You should have thought about the repercussions because you can't be like, well, now I just don't know if I want to miss the the high school graduation. And it's like, okay, don't fraud. Don't do fraud. You could be there. I could be there because I'm not doing fraud. And then they say, Sharif, he's going to walk across the graduation of med school and be a doctor. And there's going to be an empty seat where Jen should have been. Well, again, that's Jen's fault. And she has to answer to that. That's not really anyone else's fault here. And then they go on by saying that, like, it's really hard to be in prison in COVID-19. And, like, the effect of it all is really incredible. And so she shouldn't, like, being in prison for a year during COVID should count as two years of regular prison time. Okay, who am I to disagree with that? I haven't been to prison. From what I've heard, it ain't fun. Then they say that Jen, uh, she'll actually be able to pay back the the uh, victims faster if she's not in prison because she can go to jail. She can get out of jail and go get a job more. And she says, quote, Jen Shaw doesn't have the funds to make this payment today. More than anything, she wishes that she did. While Jen is jointly and severally liable for this amount with Stuart Smith, it is indisputable that once she has returned to society, Jen will be better positioned to be able to earn the funds to rectify this debt. The longer Jen is incarcerated, the longer the victims will have to wait to be made whole again. So basically she's saying jointly and severally liable means there's this amount of $6.6 million that Stuart and Jen have to pay back. But Jen and Stuart stand as one person in paying that back. It doesn't matter where the money comes from. It doesn't matter if all $6.6 million come from Jen. It would satisfy Stuart's, you know, conditions. It doesn't matter if it all comes from Stuart. It would satisfy Jen. They're liable together and they can pay separately. So that's what they're... They can collect from all or one of those people and have their judgment satisfied. This part's really good too. There's a whole section dedicated to Jen's celebrity status. And they say that due to her celebrity status, she, which she has used to significantly advance the rights of marginalized and disenfranchised communities, Jen is uniquely positioned to benefit society. They go on by saying, look, from a young age, she took this role of Fahu. She's been a role model. She's made it her mission to be a role model. She's been the speaking voice for disenfranchised Utahans. She's earned her place as the champion for the marginalized. Her fans and followers look to Jen to speak out for them and defend them and encourage them to swim harder. When the tides of injustice pull them under, they list a bunch of organizations that Jen has spent time dedicating resources and time to in the interim of this process. 
She's helped the elderly. She sewed masks. She's really into the gay and lesbian team community and supporting them. She represents uh, Polynesian, Muslim, and Mormon women. And then they say that Jen is a Polynesian, Muslim, Mormon woman. She uniquely represents each and all of these groups. And for many of them, she is their only spokesperson. I do wonder how the Polynesian, Muslim, Mormon women, like, what do you guys have to say about that? Do you feel as though Jen is your only spokeswoman? Let me know. Allegedlybravo at gmail.com. So they say, look, rather than throwing caution to the wind, like she promises she's going to be the fahu. Like she will stand firm in her fahu and she will, she'll redeem herself. And she's going to make her ancestors and descendants proud forever. Well, yikes. Yikes about the ancestors, because I have a feeling the ancestors are kind of like, sis, what the fuck? We didn't do all this for you to do that. You know, I just don't think so. So they've listed all these like letters that people have written in order to support Jen and like ask for a lower sentence. You know, it's quite interesting um, let's see. So these are the people who have written letters. Her mom, her brother, her husband, her two sons, some other family members. Marillo, the assistant. Yep. Marillo wrote a letter. Her nieces wrote a letter. Andrew Gay wrote a letter. I don't know who that is. Clark Halliday wrote a letter. That's a cute name. Um, who else wrote letters? I don't see any of the Real Housewives. None of the Real Housewives wrote a letter. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Andrew Gay is Heather Gay's ex-husband. I don't know. I made that up. I really don't know. (sighs) What a crazy, 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 crazy time. It really is a crazy time. I can't believe that she's asking for 36 months the prosecution gets to respond to this and they get to say, nope, we don't think that she's sorry. We don't think she's fahu enough for this, like yada, yada, yada. And then the judge will take it under consideration. And even though the sentencing is on like the sixth, we have a lot going on in between now and then we're going to be very busy and We might not be able to take a holiday break. I was planning on this being the last episode for the holidays and having a break until, like, we come back for the new year. But if we're going to be having sentencing and this and that, like, I'm going to have to be on the horn ready to go. And I will be. I promise to dedicate that to you. And now you're going to hear part two of what I recorded before I recorded this half. (laughs) Okay? Enjoy. Jen Shaw. Lots of big Jen Shaw news this week, which is absolutely fabulous for me and probably for you. Um, but I'm just like so excited, um, to really get into this. Last week's episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City was absolutely out of control. If you ask me, Jen Shaw was completely unhinged and Committed quite a few illegal acts, if you ask me. 
So I wanted to go through and kind of go through Jen's bail conditions because if you remember when Jen was arrested and then released from her arrest pending her final sentencing, the judge was all, okay, if you give us a million dollars in bond and XYZ, like follow all these rules, we will let you go ahead and be out of prison or out of jail until we decide your sentence, how long you're supposed to serve. So Jen's released on bail, which means she has this list that she has to follow of all these rules. One of the rules, and actually the first rule on this list of conditions that Jen has to follow while she's released on bail, is that Jen Shaw must not commit any offense in violation of federal, state, or local tribal law while on release in this case. So I found that kind of interesting because I think that Jen sort of violated quite a few laws when she put water over Angie's head. I'm sorry, champagne, dumped champagne over Angie's head when she threw Angie's shoes over the water. That was crazy. When she pushed Lisa Barlow, all of these are violations of local law. Like you can't, you can't do these things. So this is, the judge is going to see all this and the judge is going to look at all of these things. I'm sure the prosecution will provide video evidence of Jen throwing Angie's shoes over the edge of the water and you know, shoving Lisa Barlow and like being all aggressive at her. I'm sure the prosecution is going to show that to the judge. And while it's true that Jen did enter into a plea deal, meaning she changed her plea to guilty in exchange for a little something from like the prosecution, the prosecutor can make a recommendation and say, Hey, we know that like you're pretty sure going to like sentence her above 15 years, but we suggest that you downward depart, like maybe do six years. Sure, the prosecution can say that all they want, but at the end of the day, it's up to the judge, and the judge can be like, that's great. Um, Remember when you hit Lisa Barlow? Boom. You're going to prison. So even if even if Jen signed the deal, it's up to the judge. It's not up to the prosecutor. Um. Then she has to advise the court of like any change of address and phone number. Fine. That's yada, yada, yada. Okay. Jen was required to execute a $1 million personal recognizance bond secured by $250,000 worth of cash or property and co-signed by two financially responsible persons. Okay. So she posts a $1 million bond. She puts up the cash and now she has to have all this co-signed by two financially responsible people. I don't know about you, but I do not know one person, let alone two people who would be like, oh, you're charged with fraud. Oh, you're going to owe a million dollars. Sure. I'll co-sign on that. Like absolutely fucking not. But two people did co-sign. Do you want to know who those people are? Do you know who these people are? One, Coach Shaw. Coach Shaw co-signed, which I mean, for better or for worse, right? I mean, he kind of signed up for that. And Jen Shaw's mother. 
Jen Shaw's mother also co-signed on on this recognizance bond. It's like, ah, oh, this poor mom. I don't think she could ever catch a break. I mean, she's put up a million bucks or at least co-signed on it. She's drained her entire retirement. And then it's like only for Jen to be like, oops, I did it. No, no. Okay, another job was, or job, another condition that she needed to follow was that she needed to maintain employment. They don't want her just sitting around not being employed. So obviously she did. She stayed on The Real Housewives and we loved it. Even if you didn't love it, you kind of love it. I mean, you have to. Um, now this I find interesting. Another one of the restrictions that she had to follow is that she could not travel outside of the state of Utah without prior permission from the pretrial officer, with the exception of going to New York um, and D.C. for the purpose of attorney meetings and court appearances only. So when they went on their little trip down to San Diego, like the court knew about that before we did. I wonder if the if she was like, please, we have to go on a trip. Like, where can we go? And they were like, you can go to San Diego, but don't go to Mexico. Can you imagine if she went to Mexico? Oh, interesting. Um, We're going to talk later on in this episode about the handbags that were seized from Jen Shaw's um, closet during that little knock and announce raid from the FBI. When we get to it, we're going to talk about all the bags and what was found and what wasn't found. But hint. A lot of them were fake. A lot of those bags were fake. And someone on TikTok is asking, do you think she switched the bags, the real ones, out for the fakes to get the cash or bags later? I kind of do. I mean, she's so fraudy. Like, I kind of do think she did something like that. Like, she's so up to something, up to no good. Quite frankly, up to no good. Junshaw also was not allowed to travel outside of the United States. So that's another reason why San Diego was the limit. Okay. Another, another condition of her release is that defendant, Junshaw, shall continue mental health treatment as directed by pretrial services and continue treatment at the Lion Rock facility. Okay. So she's ordered to seek actively like mental health treatment. So when she had those pills and we watched the whole flashback of her putting in her contacts and taking all those pills and like seeing all that, I think that was sort of for her to like cushion up her little defense and be like, look, I'm taking my medicine. I must be following all of your rules and instructions. I do want to know what Lion Rock facility is. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I'm assuming it might be some sort of like rehab. Not sure. Um, the defendant must avoid all contact with the people who are named in the complaint. So sorry. Sorry, Stu Chains. You guys can't be friends for now. But I don't know if you guys have seen Locked Up. I think that's what it's called. But there's these like different prisons where it's like the guys are on one floor and then the girls are on the other and they've figured out ways to communicate by like flushing spoons and stuff with notes tied down the toilets. So I do think that, you know, 
There's a possibility for Jen and Stu Chains to rekindle a friendship in prison if they get stuck in the same facility and they can flush their spoons with fishing line down the toilet. Communicate. Maybe they can start some sort of commissary scam. It would make sense. It would only make sense. Okay, number 10. Jen Shaw must not use alcohol in excess and must not use or unlawfully possess a narcotic drug and other controlled substance unless blah, 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 prescribed. Defendant must not use alcohol to excess. Okay. (laughs) I think Jen Shaw used alcohol to excess, like, absolutely. And it's all on film. It's all on film. All of it. So... If I were a prosecutor, I would show that to a judge and be like, look, judge, she's drunk. She's always drunk. I don't know if you guys watch, um, watch what happens live, but on watch what happens live, Meredith Marks was on right after the episode of this week's episode. And Meredith Marks said she wouldn't be surprised if Jen Shaw didn't remember all of the stuff that happened between her and Lisa Barlow. Jen, she, Mar- Meredith would not be surprised if Jen didn't remember that because that was the drunkest that Meredith Marks had ever seen Jen Shaw. Oh my God. So first to have the video footage of her being just a complete drunken idiot and like pushing people and throwing things. Besides all that, You have someone who is actually there witnessing and being around Jen and seeing how she was acting, going on a completely separate TV show, Watch What Happens Live, and being like, that was the drunkest I've ever seen Jen Shaw. And one of the conditions is not to use alcohol in excess. Girl, please, like, please do one thing. Do one thing. Um, number 11, she has to report on a regular basis to the pretrial officers. I'm sure she has. I, I have no reason to believe she hasn't. The defendant must surrender any passport. I'm also assuming she has. Here's a, here's a kicker. The defendant, Jen Shaw, shall not incur new credit charges or open additional lines of credit without permission from the pretrial officer. Can you imagine if you were in such big trouble that they're like, dude, you can't do, you're not opening any credit cards unless a court says it's fine. That's so crazy. Oh my God. So she can't incur any charges on her current credit cards and she can't open any new credit cards. So anything that she spends has to be cash, right? It's what it sounds like to me, unless she asks the pretrial officer for permission and then they're all, yeah, sure, Jen Shaw, you go ahead and you open a new MasterCard or a Chase Capital One card or whatever the hell they're calling them these days. Get the miles. Get the miles. Okay. She's also not allowed to be employed in any fiduciary capacity. Duh. That makes sense. The woman literally, you know, stole money from old people. So yeah. Obviously, she can't be like the secretary of the bank. That'd be ridiculous. 
um, she has to submit her person, residence, office, or vehicle to search, um, conducted in a reasonable time and a reasonable manner and all that. They have to do that. Um, she has to be open to that. She has to let that happen. She can't refuse that. It has to happen. The number 17, Jen Shaw shall not dissipate cash or assets from any personal or corporate account that she controls in excess of $5,000 or more per transaction, except for legal costs in this case. So unless she has prior consent. So she, so no wonder Angie fucking K paid for that birthday. No wonder Angie K paid for Coach Shaw's birthday. Like, Jen can't pay for it because if it was $15,000, like, that exceeds the limit. Jen would have to make three separate $5,000 transactions. That's embarrassing. That's really embarrassing. And she's also not allowed to engage in telemarketing or lead generation. Obviously. I mean, it's like, and please, please don't continue breaking the law. Just please stop. So that, that happened on April 2nd, 2021, also known as the day the world fucking stopped. The day the world stopped. It seems like just yesterday and also like 10 years ago. I can't believe we've seen this woman on two different seasons of this show. And I'm still, we're still like, when's she going to get sentenced? Like, how long is she going to be in jail? Prison. I keep saying jail, but it's prison. So those were Jen Shaw's bail conditions that she was released on. And I'm pretty sure she violated all of them, allegedly. (laughs) That's my opinion. Okay, so now we're going to move on and talk about what happened when they came on March 30th about and executed the search warrant on Jen Shaw's house. Wow. First of all, that footage was crazy and so scary. That was so scary. Okay, when they executed the search warrant, the government came in and they just like did a real grab of all of the things that Jen had in her closet in an effort to get some money so that she could pay back some of these people that she stole from, you know, liquidate the damages. Well, that's not the proper term, but, you know, sell everything so that she can pay restitution. Anyway, this, I'm going to tell you all the fucking things that these people took from Jennifer Shaw. They took one Yves Saint Laurent Nikki medium gold shoulder bag. That was real. It said made in Italy. Allegedly real. One real Versace Palazzo Empire Green leather tote bag with signature Medusa motif on flap and removable leather strap made in Italy. I believe that's real too. It None of these say genuine, so I'm just going to tell you the ones I think are real and then the ones that they straight up say are fake. The next thing that they took is a one Gucci Arlie Python handbag with gold hardware and silver studs. I think that one's real. I have no reason to believe that one's fake. One Louis Vuitton patent monogram infrarouge twist 
red patent leather shoulder bag with silver chain shoulder strap. These are very descriptive. That sounds real to me. Like a real, one real Louis Vuitton tote. Like, okay, I believe that you have one real Louis Vuitton tote. So sure, these four bags, I believe, are probably real. One Louis Vuitton kimono cherry calfskin and monogram canvas tote with gold hardware made in France. One Louis Vuitton. Mm, that might be fake. I don't know. It's made in France. One Louis Vuitton monogram Victoire canvas and leather handbag with a gold chain strap and hardware made in Spain. Hmm. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. I'm not too sure about that one. Can someone who owns a real Louis Vuitton bag just take a little peek inside and let me know where it's made? Because we have three different places here. We got one made in France, one made in Spain. Next up, one Versace Palazzo Empire black leather tote bag with signature Medusa motif on the flap. Removable leather strap and gold hardware. This one was made in Italy. Next, we have one Louis Vuitton checkered calfskin twist MM. I don't know what MM is. With double gold chain shoulder straps made in Italy. See, another one made somewhere random. One Louis Vuitton monogram reverse column canvas and leather clutch with gold and silver hardware made in France. So now Italy, France, Italy, Italy, France, another France. One Louis Vuitton on my side MM canvas and leather tote with detachable leather shoulder strap and gold hardware. Doesn't say where it's made. I'm guessing fraud. One Louis Vuitton Melitage GO 14 PM quilted rather, rather red leather bag with detachable silver chain strap made in Italy. That bag number nine makes me want to do red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Like, um, Sharpay Evans. Okay. I'm sorry. That was number 11. My Roman numerals were off by two. Okay. Number 12, another Louis Vuitton limited edition. This time grommet twist MM leather bag with silver chain strap made in Italy. Another Louis Vuitton studded Louise black calfskin clutch made in Italy. Christian Louboutin Kabata East-West Leather Leopard Print Tote with gold hardware made in Italy. I would guess that one's real, but I don't know. This woman's such a fraud. One Valentino Candy Stud Napa Striped Medium Top Handle Bag with gold studs and hardware. Doesn't say where that one's made, but it does give a serial number. One Louis Vuitton reversible monogram cashmere poncho vest. Label lacking. Oop, there's no label on it. So they're just guessing that this is a Louis Vuitton cashmere poncho. Oh, how fun would it be to be the one inventorying all this? I've, I inventoried someone's jewelry for divorce and it was so fun. A bankruptcy inventory must be so fun. 
This isn't a bankruptcy, but you know what I mean. One Montclair, Fulmar Gabala. I have no idea what that fucking says. It it looks Italian. There's B's and T's in it. It's a gray down jacket with blue fo- frost fox fur trim made in Armenia. Could be real. One Prada dyed sheep fur and brown leather jacket made in Italy. Again, I don't know where Prada's made, but methinks Jen Shaw had one real Prada bag. At least one. One Levin fox mink and leather belted stole made in France. I wonder if that's the one that she wore like on the show. I don't know. Oh my God, you guys. Okay. Number 20. They seized one Meredith Marks Patricia ring, 14 karat yellow gold set with one pear-shaped golden moonstone weighing approximately 16 carats, 34 round brilliant diamonds weighing approximately half a carat's total weight, 29 round brilliant yellow diamonds weighing approximately 0.4 carats total weight, size six and a half, stamped Meredith Marks. <gasps> that was kind of nice. Do you think she paid for that? Oh, curious. Meredith Marks, did Jen Shaw pay you for that 14 karat gold ring? I wonder. Next, we have another Meredith Marks ring. This was the reed ring. This was a 14 karat yellow gold set with one cushion cut olive quartz weighing approximately 24 carats. That sounds beautiful. With 48, holy fuck, round brilliant diamonds weighing approximately 0.65 carats total, size 7. So somewhere in between the first 14 karat yellow gold Meredith Marks Patricia ring and the second 14 karat yellow gold Meredith Marks reed ring, a finger either gained a half a size or lost a half a size. I'd be curious to know which one came first. I don't know why it matters. It doesn't. The other one thing, another one thing, they took a lot of stuff, but they also took a David Yerman bracelet, another David Yerman bracelet, another David Yerman bracelet. So she had a David Yerman Belmont curb link bracelet, a David Yerman Waverly Cuff, Al Beyond Bracelet, Waverly Cuff. All those she had. I do wonder if they're real. I kind of think they are. It would be weird if those weren't real. Those are like good gifts. I'm sure they're real. Um, Then she had one Gucci spiked necklace, gold tone, featuring faux pearls set with crystal pave. <laughs> this person must also write for like QVC or something. One Louis Vuitton Parar petal necklace. Um, not interested. Okay, now we're getting to the good stuff. They also found one counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram canvas and leather tote. One counterfeit Louis Vuitton fleece pouch monogram canvas small handbag. I do note that the Louis Vuitton fleece pouch, they do have fleece spelt F-L-E-I-C-E, which either is me pronouncing felice wrong 
or them spelling fleece wrong. Someone's wrong here. I'm going to guess it's the counterfeit one because I'm real. One counterfeit Chanel red quilted shoulder bag with silver chain strap made in China. That one's fake. One counterfeit Chanel red quilted wallet. Fake. One counterfeit Chanel faux pearl embellished black canvas bag. Fake. One counterfeit Chanel gold quilted shoulder bag. One counterfeit Fendi quilted handbag. One counterfeit Bottega Veneta green olive clutch. One counterfeit Balenciaga. We hate Balenciaga. One counterfeit beep silver leather handbag with removable shoulder strap and gold hardware. Fake. One counterfeit faux snakeskin shoulder bag Chanel. Another counterfeit Chanel lambskin and leather handbag. Another counterfeit pair of black quilted side pack bags. I have no idea what that means. One counterfeit pair of black quilted side pack bags. Okay. One counterfeit Chanel black leather tote. One counterfeit Hermes black leather handle bag with gold hardware. Was it a fake Birkin or just a fake Hermes? 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 I don't know. One counterfeit Chanel black quilted shoulder bag. Come on. That's every girl's starter bag. You can't even get a real Chanel quilted bag. Another counterfeit Chanel black quilted shoulder bag. Another counterfeit Chanel black quilted shoulder bag. A counterfeit Louis Vuitton and Christian Louboutin collab. Calf hair shopping bag. No hardware. Oh, I'm sorry. Gold hardware. Another Louis Vuitton counterfeit. This time, a monogram canvas wallet. A counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram canvas and leather wallet. Another counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram canvas and leather fanny pack. A counterfeit brown Chanel shoulder bag. A counterfeit Chanel tan quilted handbag. A counterfeit pink Gucci quilted belt bag. A counterfeit Chanel PVC bag with sand inside with gold and pearl chain strap. Like why did they have to add the, why did they have to add that there was sand inside? Like it was, it's already bad enough that you guys got Jen Shaw's fake bag and it's dirty. You know what? Name and shame actually. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I'm glad that they put in there that there was sand in there. It was dirty. Another counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram reverse petite. Who cares what it is if it's fake? Another counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram canvas and leather bag. Oh, this time a set of three pouches strapped together. Fake. Another counterfeit Chanel dark tan shoulder bag made in China. A counterfeit Valentino rock stud spike white leather shoulder bag. Fake. They also got from Jen Shaw's closet a counterfeit Jimmy Choo red leather handle bag. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. One counterfeit Louis Vuitton monogram canvas. Fake. One counterfeit Chanel large yellow quilted shoulder bag with, it's marked Pharrell on the strap. 
What does that mean? And it's not even Pharrell, like Pharrell spelled correctly. It's Pharrell spelled incorrectly. Another counterfeit Louis Vuitton, another counterfeit Louis Vuitton, another counterfeit Louis Vuitton PVC monogram backpack, a counterfeit Bulgari signet ring, a counterfeit Bulgari, another signet ring, a counterfeit Chanel crystal logo necklace. It's like you can't even get a real Chanel logo necklace. This is so embarrassing. Two counterfeit Cartier hinged bangles. Come on. Come on. And you know what? And I'm speaking as a girl who has gone to China, seen these counterfeit bags and said, damn, that looks good. One counterfeit Cartier crystal pave hinged cuff. One counterfeit Tiffany and Co. gold, ugh, gold tone hinged cuff. That, come on. Jen Shaw, that's embarrassing. Counterfeit Tiffany and Co. cuff. Get a life. Two counterfeit Louis Vuitton hinged cuffs. One set is with faux mother of pearls and the other is with crystal pave. Weird. Why didn't they list those as two? I don't know. One counterfeit Chanel gold tone cuff bracelet. Another counterfeit Chanel black resin bracelet. Another counterfeit black resin cuff made in France. Another Counterfeit Chanel leather charm bracelet made in Italy. A Louis Vuitton bangle counterfeit. A counterfeit Louis Vuitton bangle. Oh my God. I mean, so many counterfeit bangles. I, I mean, we cannot possibly read them all. Three Cartier counterfeit hinged bangles. Why does she have all these counterfeit bangles? She has so many fake Chanel bangles. And one counterfeit Chanel faux pearl and black plastic earrings. It's like so embarrassing. I don't know. I I don't really know what to say about this Jen Shaw because it's like on one hand, I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. There's no way this is real. And then on the other hand, I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. I'm so glad this is real. Be real. Be real. But I guess where I'm coming from is I don't think I want to see Jen Shaw on this show next year. I really don't think I do. And I don't think it's up to me, but I also heard some rumors that she didn't go to the reunion. And This rumor is kind of interesting to me, at least, because it says, first she says that she was not invited, excuse me, not invited. So she's not going to the reunion. She didn't go to the reunion. I think she should go to the reunion. Um, But this is what Jen Shaw's side of the story is anyway. Jen Shaw says that on September 14th, 2022, that's my brother's birthday. That's a day of a Virgo. That's already a scary day. On September 14th, I was informed by Bravo executives that I was not invited to attend the season three reunion. I want receipts for that. I was disappointed because I would have no venue to confront inaccuracies and address my storyline with cast members. 
you can come on this podcast, Jen. I would love to facilitate that conversation. Out of nowhere, on November 29th, two and a half weeks ago, it's like, yeah, it's dated. It's the internet. I was invited to attend and I was elated to learn I would now have a voice at the reunion. Come on, Jen. I was clear with Bravo that out of respect for the courts and a standing judicial order, I would not be in position to discuss anything related to my legal case or sentencing. Bravo found this unsatisfactory and said they expected to discuss this, quote, storyline. That expectation has no regard for me or my family's well-being. So under legal advice, I will not be attending the reunion. It doesn't say that. It just says, I will not be attending reunion. I need to focus on the most important thing in my life, my family. My family. That's a sister wives reference. First of all, the quote-unquote storyline is on this show because you got arrested while we were all watching this fucking show. I mean, come on. We kind of got to talk about that. The other thing is, you this woman has no problem, like, violating court orders all of a sudden. Now she's like, I can't talk about anything. I think that's best for Jen because I think her legal counsel is probably like, which, by the way, I think her name's Priyanka Chaudhry. Priyanka Chaudhry, if you're listening, what the fuck? What the fuck? Why would you legally advise her not to go to the reunion? Now she's for sure going to get fired. And that is, that's really not fair for any of us. So Jen Shaw did not go to the reunion and she will not have her voice heard according to her. She's still invited on this podcast. And I guess that's the end of that. Her sentencing will be on January 6th, 2023. January 6th is quite a fucking day. Quite a fucking day to sentence Jen Shaw. But you know what? I'll never forget that day for the rest of my life. The day that both democracy and Jen Shaw went down. And that's just that on that. So my criminal behavior for this week is, okay, do you guys have like neighbors that have those big inflatable, I stole this from my mom, The those big inflatable like snowmen or Santa or like snow globes with like penguins inside. And they're so fucking cute. And they blow up and they light up and they're like adorable. Why the fuck do you not keep them blown up during the daytime? I'm not happy about that. My mom brought it up to my attention and now all I can see is inflatable Santas and snowmen and reindeer just like completely deflated, sad as fuck. And I think it's criminal that you don't blow them up. And how do you explain to a child, no, Santa's just sleeping. Santa's not dead. I don't know. I don't have to explain that to a child, but someone will have to. And it's criminal that we've now made them have to do that. So my criminal behavior is if you have those inflatable little thingies in your front yard, keep them blown up. Tis the season. And you, you know, it can't impact your electric bill that much. I mean, my God, it's a like 
plugging in a hairdryer all day and set it on a timer. Don't have it on at night. At night doesn't matter. We're all inside. We finished our driving. We're in for the night and our bras are off. We probably have a face mask on. We're not leaving the house. That's the perfect time to unplug your little inflatable if you must. But I don't think you should. And I think if you do, you should be arrested. And I'd like to thank my mom for sharing that criminal behavior because it really is. It really has changed my life. Okay, everybody, we'll see you next week. Um, As always, go ahead and give us a five-star review and let me know what you learned and what you thought was fun. No, just kidding. That's like stupid. Okay, have a good day. Bye. Meowy Kitmas. Allegedly Bravo podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by Lauren Peavy House. Allegedly Bravo is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out. This podcast is made available by the lawyer or legal expert for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there's no attorney-client relationship between you and the podcast publisher. Allegedly Bravo podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. Got it?